So turn there. This evening, we've been in Genesis now for a few months, and I've lingered in this chapter purposefully because I really want you to understand uh, all that's here. There's so much wonderful uh, theology and teaching and instruction here, and I really want you to get it. So I've, I've really lingered. I've gone slow, and I've done it purposefully. So if you want me to go faster, I, I, I hope there's enough content to keep your attention. I believe there is. There's a lot of good things here. So we're going to look at that. Genesis chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 14 through 19. We're not, gonna, we're not even going to get to the covering. We're gonna, I'm going to save next week for the covering. So we're still in the curse. A lot of curse going on here. Uh, responsibility and, and there's the, the crime. God has said, here's the crime and then here's the sentence. That's the curse. We've been looking at it and we'll look at it in depth tonight. Let's pray. Father, with uh, our Bibles open, we come to you asking that you would reveal the truth of your word. This is the truth, and we have it in our hands, and we really do desire to hear from you. And so I just yield myself to you to be filled by the Holy Spirit as I speak and present the word, and I pray for each and every one of us that we would yield to the Spirit's work in our lives as the word's revealed. And Lord, that you would teach us and instruct us so that we can navigate the life that we live even now. This, your word gives us instruction for righteousness. And I pray that you would teach us from this Old Testament passage the, the importance, Lord, of, of what we're learning in Genesis 3. So teach us, we pray, in Jesus. Amen. We've been looking at, like I said, the curse, and I want to read these verses kind of quickly and throw these points at you to work our way to the, the point we didn't get to, the curse we didn't get to, and that's the curse of man last week. We're going to get there really quick, but I want to get us up to speed here. So we begin in verse 14 with the serpent. The serpent was cursed, so the Lord, verse 14, God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle. And more than every beast of the field, on your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. So God cursed this animal, this animal that has no sense of sin. Think about it. The animal has no sense of sin or a mind to choose for that matter. It's just an animal like any other animal. But used by Satan, it was a serpent, an upright animal standing on two legs. And then it was cursed by God to crawl and slither. Again, this is the curse on the serpent, this animal is a symbolic curse, meaning every time you see a snake, remember the snake crawling under the pews? Did you, anybody have nightmares about that? Crawling, <laughs> biting your feet? It's, it's a curse, and you're to remember that this is the curse of God on, on Satan. It's on Satan. It happened through the animal, but it's a reminder, it's symbolic, that you'll remember that Satan was a deceiver. Um, and then in verse 15, the next point is a cosmic battle. Here's where the cosmic battle began, verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. That word enmity means hatred, hatred between. Again, a snake and a woman. There's a lot of hatred there, right, women? I mean, there's creepy crawlies for many people, and, and don't, they don't like snakes. And so <laughs> I love that. That's, it's, it's just true, isn't it? It's true. It's true for men. My father hated snakes as well. But uh, here's, the, here's the battle. It's, it's shown here so clearly. The battle's between the seed of the woman, that's what it says, 
That's Jesus. That's you and I that follow Jesus, all followers of Jesus. So the seed of the woman. And then the other part of the battle is the seed of the serpent. That would be, listen, Cain, Judas, all followers of Satan. Think about, throughout the Bible, we see them. They've rejected God. They rejected Christ, Ananias and Sapphira. They reject all those that follow Satan they, because they're not following Jesus. There's only two ways to go. That's what the scripture says. You either follow Christ and you, you obey what the scripture says about God and him providing for you salvation through his son. Or if you're not following Jesus, you're following Satan. That's where this cosmic battle, that's the battleground. And those are the two enemies there, the seed of the woman, the seed of the serpent. So these two, they've a uh, been in a battle forever, really consistently, continuously from this point in Genesis 3. That's why this text is so important for you to understand. Helps you to understand the doctrine of sin. Where, is, where did sin originate? What is original sin? That's what we're studying here in Genesis 3. Now, this battle that goes on between the follower of Satan or the, the follower of Jesus, this battle, we encounter the battle right here in the church. It happens around us. I get emails, not a lot, but I'll get an email. I got some emails in the last five months over the, the gay marriage issue. You know, how could you do that? You know, you're not really a faithful man of God. Stand up there and tell us that marriage is between one man and one woman. Uh, you know, I get that. And you may have gotten that too. You may have heard that same thing. This, this battle that goes on again and again. Facebook. Somebody gave me, can you believe this, a one-star rating because this transgendered woman, she said she came here, I really doubt it, but I got a one-star rating and it just crushed me. I was crushed by that. <laughs> here, this is my point, and I'm mocking a little bit, but here's my point. Because you're a follower of Jesus, you need to expect confrontation. If this church wasn't standing like other churches... If they, we're not standing on righteousness and on the truth of Scripture, we'd never have conflict, right? You'd never have conflict in your life if you just went downstream with all the other dead fish and just went along with the world. But because you're a Christian, you've been born again, you have different ways, and, different, and so you stand up against the flow. And when you do that, there's conflict. We've been talking about conflict, haven't we, on Sunday mornings? Ephesians, it's all about the battle, and we're all in the battle. So how do we handle the battle? Well, just like I handled these issues, the email and those kinds of things, I just quote the scriptures. This is where we stand. We stand right here in the Bible. The Bible says, and Jesus said that God created them male and female, period. That's what the scripture says. That's what we teach. So I don't argue. There's no reason for me to argue with anybody. You don't have to argue with anybody yourself. You just stand, smile, quote the scriptures. Don't get ex excited or don't get upset. Because here in Genesis 3.15 says that there's going to be a battle. And the battle is against these two seed. The seed of the woman, that would be Jesus and his followers, and the seed of the serpent. That's what Genesis 3 is all about. So if this church, again, stirs up controversy in our culture, then so be it. We're here to be a light. We're here to be salt. That's our responsibility to do that. God didn't send us here, and God doesn't call this church or other Christian churches, and I would put 
you know, the, the large churches in town like Emmanuel or other Baptists and other denominations and Christians in this city. God didn't place us here to be in a popularity contest. He put us here to be light in a dark place, and we are, and I hope that you want to be that same light. Jesus said to his disciples, notice on the screen behind me, John 15, he said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. He said, you're going to get this. Conflict's going to happen because the world really hates me. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. That's why. That's why we have conflict. That's why there's difficulty, the clashes, the criticism, being hated by the world, being called a bigot because you believe in Scripture when it comes to marriage. You just have to accept that. Christians, that's just part of who we are. Now, you can step outside, and there are pastors. They're falling right now. You're watching the news. Have you seen the news? And there's pastors that are marrying gays. They're standing up and saying, I'm, I'm going to be more godly, and I'm going to marry a gay person. But here's the problem. They're going against Scripture. That means they're going against who? Who are they going against? That's a problem, don't you think? I would fear that. And so I can't have this other opinion. I have to have the opinion that comes from the Scripture. Genesis 3. The struggle continues. Each and every one of you are in that battle. So what do we do? Ephesians 6, verse 13, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Remember I talked about the evil day a couple weeks ago? When is the evil day? Right now. It was yesterday. It's going to be tomorrow. It's right now, the evil day. We have to stand. That's what the scripture tells us to do. So Genesis 3.15 God prophesies this judgment against Satan, the seed, the seed here of the serpent. And it says in verse 15, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. God's revealing that he is ultimately going to deal with Satan, defeat Satan. First, that Satan would wound the Messiah. He's going to bruise the heel. That's all he's going to do. And that's what that means there. That's temptation, crucifixion, Jesus going to the cross, being manhandled and, mis uh, and abused by the Romans, by the Sanhedrin, the guards of the temple. But then the Messiah would crush, I love, love this, crushing the head. That's a mortal wound. That's, that's not like biting the heel. Do you get it? That's what we're supposed to learn here in Genesis 3.15, that God is prophesying from the very beginning of the Bible that he's got it all under control. He's going to take care of Satan. He's going to crush him. It's going to be Jesus, the seed of the woman, that's going to crush, mortally wound, destroy Satan. That's, that's what the scriptures teaching. Now, notice the phrases there in verse 15. There's the heel and versus the head. Then there's the striking versus the crushing. That's, that's the contrast there. Again, when Jesus died on the cross, he delivered a crushing blow to Satan. When he died on the cross, he, he eliminated, he crushed Satan's head there. And so Jesus ultimately wins this battle. His heel was bruised, yes, but he crushed, he mortally wounded, he, he, he crushed Satan. That's what this is teaching us here. And I, I love that. No one survives a crushed head. I, I love that thought. Now, you might be asking a question that came up in my mind today when I was studying this. If Satan is crushed, then why is he still active? Why, would, why do we still struggle here in 2016? 
if Satan was crushed, you know, 2,000 years ago? And the answer is this. The cross was the judgment on Satan. That was his judgment. And his sentence was pronounced. His, he was crushed then. And then his doom was pronounced then. Jesus, in his death and resurrection, power of his resurrection, he dealt with Satan eternally. Satan knows where he's going. He knows where he's going to end up. The end of the story has been written. So again, that should bring confidence to you as a believer. That yes, we're in a battle, and yes, things are hard, and they're hard for Christians, and they're going to get harder in your life possibly. Temptation is not going to go away in this lifetime. When you go to a church and they teach you that, oh, everything's just perfect, and you got saved, and now nothing's going to harm you, or that you can command Satan with your words, and do that's not what the Scripture teaches. That's what men teach. The Bible teaches, Jesus said, in the world you will have what? That's right. But be of good cheer when you have that trouble and that tribulation because Jesus said, I've overcome the world for you. So, so keep your eyes on me. You're going to go through it. It's not going to stop. So that's really what this is declaring, this section. I find great hope in that, by the way. And I hope you do too. If you find yourself kind of in a, in a real difficult place, Satan, yes, is roaming free. He's roaming free. And he's got all these satanic creatures. Remember principalities, powers, all the things we've defined in Ephesians chapter 6. And things are going to get worse and worse and worse before they get better. That's what the scripture teaches, by the way. Let me show you 2 Timothy 3. Look at the verse behind me on the screen. It's long, but, but know this, Paul tells Pastor Timothy, in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers. Do you know any people like that? Isn't, doesn't that really label who we are and where we are as a country, even a society? Slanders without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now, that describes where we are, and we're told that things are going to get worse until they get better. Jesus is coming. So Christians, we keep our eyes on who? On Jesus. We, we're looking for Jesus to come. And I believe, personally, the next thing on the prophetic calendar is the rapture of the church. That's what I'm looking for, Jesus Christ. Not the Antichrist, but Jesus, because he's going to come, and he, we're going to get raptured, and then God's going to deal with this world, this Christ-rejecting world. That's what the seven years of tribulation are about. So here's the application going back to Genesis 3, 15. All who follow Jesus are going to struggle in this life. And you're going to have temptation. And sometimes you'll win, and sometimes you'll lose. And I'm speaking from experience here. Sometimes you'll win, sometimes you'll lose when it comes to temptation. But don't get discouraged. Put your armor on, because it's all been provided for you, and stay in the battle. Stand. That's what the scriptures would call us to do in the scripture. Somebody said this. I like this quote. Notice it. Salvation is free, but no one gets a free ride to heaven. Isn't that the truth? Salvation is totally free for you and I. So if Jesus suffered in doing the will of God, so will we. And, and again, to me, when I read that and as I present that to you, I hope that you find hope in that. 
that you're like anyone else. You're going through this world, and life is hard. It's difficult. And we're going to see with the curse of man, it's, it's not easy. We're going to see that. It's coming up. In Timothy, again, Paul tells him, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. So all those things. There's no victory without wounding, no progress without pain. God uses those things, difficult things in our life, to train us and help us. He wants us to grow. So next time you're really in the middle of the battle, don't, don't despair. It's hard. I know it's hard, but don't despair. You're gonna, you might get wounded a little bit, but you stand in God's armor, and God will see you through that. Now, last week we looked at this first point, the serpent Cursed, And then we looked at the woman cursed, verse 16, to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception and pain, and you will bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And so there's two different areas. I articulated that last week, but two parts of the woman's curse, her relationship to her children, the sorrow, the sorrow, the first part of the woman's curse, multiplied sorrow. Not only the pain of childbirth, but the, the worry and care of children, the wayward children, and the sorrow that comes with having children. It's greatly multiplied. That's the curse that is yours, ladies. And then the second part is in relation to your husband. First with the kids and sorrow, and then with your husband. Notice, your desire shall be for your husband, and he will what? Rule over you. In other words... You're always going to struggle, wives, with your husband when it comes to his role of headship. You're always going to struggle with that. Now, that's not an excuse, but if you know that you're going to struggle with that, then you can deal with you. You can deal with you and that curse. That's the curse. And husbands, you need to understand that. That's a curse that she has. And, and so that's what the scripture is teaching. The, Adam's headship. He was created first, then from his side, a a bone, a rib, and was formed and fashioned. This beautiful woman, different than him, brought to him under his authority. And she leaves his authority and talks to the serpent. She leaves his authority because he he had undoubtedly told her, don't eat. Because remember, she knew that. And she did it anyway. So she left his authority. You you can't leave your husband's authority, wives. I know you want to. You don't want his rule. That's the curse. But when you do that, it's, it's going to be very difficult. So the curse on Eve makes it much harder for her to submit and flow with God's design in the home. That Doesn't that explain some things, ladies and men, husbands and wives? It really does explain all those things. The constant struggle with your husband is a reminder of how bad sin really is. Have you heard those jokes? I need some, we need to rest a little bit here. I know I'm, I'm hitting you hard and fast. Those jokes about, and that's when the fight started. Have you heard those? I love those. My wife sat down on the couch next to me as I was flipping channels. And she asked, what's on TV? And I said, dust. And that's when the fight started. See, you're, you're going to have conflict. The, the point here is conflict. My wife was hinting about what she wanted for our upcoming anniversary, and she said, I want something shiny that goes from 1 to 150 in three seconds. So I bought her a scale, and that's, that's when the fight started. <laughs> Some of you have no sense of humor. <gasps> the serpent cursed 
The woman curse, here we, now we're coming to, this is the meat of our study, the man, the curse of the man. Let's move beyond that other stuff. Verse 17, then Adam, then to Adam, God said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have not, and have eaten, pardon me, from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. So it's here that God first reveals the crime. Okay, here's the crime. Adam's crime is revealed here. And he list, first it was he listened to his wife because you have heeded the voice of your wife. That's the crime. Instead of heeding the voice of God, Adam listened to the voice of his wife. And so that's when he gave up his role of being head. He abdicated his role. He didn't fulfill his role, saying, wait a minute, honey, you did the wrong thing. The scripture says. And that's how you deal with that, by the way, as, as husband and wife. You don't go to each other and, and throw, just throw scripture at each other, but you come to your husband or wife and say, honey, doesn't the scripture say this? And I, I, I really need your help. And, and what does it mean when it says husbands love your wife? Or what does it mean when it says wives submit yourself to your husband? What does that mean? And have a discussion about it. If your husband's Christian, if your wife's a believer, then you won't have a problem. You, you guys can work it out. You, you remind each other of the word. But when you throw scripture at your husband or your wife, you're just asking for what? It's going to happen, Right? It, you bring it on. I mean, it's like, you don't want that. And that's the curse, again, that's put on women. You we want to usurp your, hus- usurp your husband's authority. But so the first, first was he listened to his wife. Secondly, Adam disobeyed God's direct command. He, he ate what God had told him, do not eat of that fruit. Adam did that. He disobeyed willfully God's command. So Eve was tricked, but Adam knew exactly what he was doing. Think about that. He knew exactly what he was doing when he ate that. So that's why theologians, and I believe he didn't want to lose her. He loved her, and he loved her beauty, and he was taken by her, and he began to idol worship her in a way. He worshiped her more than God, more than God's word. He loved her more. That's a problem. We always have to have God first in our relationships. If you're young and you're looking forward to a a future uh, being a bride or a, a groom, then you need to worship God first and put him first in your relationship. Uh, If you've been married for years, like Esther and I, we need to keep the Lord first. And this is what I found, to be really honest. I can be out of sorts. I can be, you know, just as gnarly as anybody. But if I keep my eyes on Jesus to please him, and she's looking at Jesus, and I'm looking at Jesus, and I keep praying, and I'm growing, and she's growing, and we're both looking, and we're going in the same direction. See, that's the key. So, so Christian husband and wife, that's what you need to work on. You need to work in that direction. But in this case, Adam, Adam knew exactly what he was doing, and he, he sinned. He sinned against God. So this first sin, it's, it's interesting. God has a design for family, husband, wife. She stepped outside of that relationship, did her own decision. That was wrong. That was sin against God and, and her husband and that role that God put. And then Adam sins. By, by listening to his wife, and he sins by doing exactly what God told him not to do. And so now you have this kind of role reversal going on in this marriage relationship, and everything is falling apart. They're firstborn sons, right? We're going to read about Cain and Abel. 
You, you know the story. One kills the other. It's a problem. Sin is a problem. It's a huge issue. It's a huge problem. So the scriptures tell us that a man is to lead in the home, not demandingly, not, not uh, with argument or division, but he's to, to, to lead sacrificially. Ephesians 5.25, real quick. Husbands, love your wife just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. You could read that whole section through verse 28. But it, that's how we're to love husbands. Not through harassment, not demanding, but love like Jesus loved. If you really loved your wife like that, wives, you'd obey your husbands, right? If, if they loved you like that. I believe that's where it starts. Husband must love his wife like Christ. Love the church. You do that, and it's going to change the relationship at home. And you'll notice in the Bible that it's Adam who's always blamed for sin. It, in, in, in the New Testament, it doesn't say Eve. It says Adam, and we're, our sin is, we're in Adam. Let me show you two quick scriptures. Romans 5.14, nevertheless, death reigned for Adam, from Adam to Moses. And in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, for as in Adam all die. Even so in Christ all shall be made alive. So Adam is the one that bears the responsibility. Why? Because he was made first. Because Adam was responsible. Husbands, you're responsible in your home. If things aren't going smooth, I always, as a pastor, when somebody comes in, I'm always looking at the man. Because I know the scriptures. And I believe that's where it starts. Well, my wife's out of control. Well, you need to love her. But she said, well, you just keep loving her because you as a sinner were out of control and Jesus loved you. You get it? So we need to be loving and gracious and kind and merciful just like Christ. And when we do that, God changes our relationships at home. But both Adam and Eve suffered the consequences. They, they both did. And here's, here's the kind of a, another overarching point. When you sin whether it's the husband or the wife, it affects the other person. It affects your family. When the husband fails, it's going to affect the children. When the wife fails, it can affect the children and the husband. It's, we, our sin just affects everyone. And then you know someone in your family that's sinning, and it affects you, and you're just a relative. You know what I mean? Our sin has an effect on others. But here's an interesting thing. Adam's curse is similar to Eve's. Eve's curse was at the center of her life with her kids, right, and her husband. Adam's curse was really at the center of his because when God created Adam, he made this beautiful garden, and where does God place Adam? Right in the middle of the garden. In other words, he made this beautiful garden for Adam, and so he gives him this command to tend the garden. He gives him work to do in the garden. He, he's to tend and to keep it. That's back in Genesis 2.15. The, the tend and keep mean to guard and watch. There's no seeds, right? He's in the garden. It's perfect. As in, in Genesis 2, there's no sin. It's not until Genesis 3 that we have the, the failure of man and then the consequence of sin that mars everything in the universe. But in Genesis 2, Adam's work was to tend and care or to watch, just to watch. And that was man's work in the garden. 
But because of the curse, now he has to work, and he has to toil, and he has to make his living from the ground. In verse 19, it says, by the sweat of his brow. And Adam, he's going to labor. He's going to work hard just to get food from the ground. Now, that's we, when we say Adam, you say humankind or men and women that are working, you find that you have to sweat, you have to labor, you have unending frustration, you have to continue to work. That is the curse. It's the curse. And everybody knows that. I mean, if you've worked for any amount of time, for any employer, you know that. I haven't always done what I'm doing here. I've been here 27 years, but I did. I worked for 13 years at Bonds. I was under you know, multi-layers of management. I, w- I worked in the grocery store. I worked in the freezer. I worked in the milk box. I used to love being in the milk box, putting in the milk. And some little old lady would walk by and I'd put my hand out. <laughs> I didn't always do that. It was, I did it with kids. But when you're working, every day is a toil. Every, you go back, you do the same thing. You punch in, do the same thing. Get up, eat, go to the bathroom, go to work, go home, go to the bathroom, get up, eat, go to work. You just go through this endless cycle. That's what, that's what, it's toil, right? But work wasn't to be that way. When Adam was in the garden, the perfect paradise before sin, he was to tend and keep. He was to watch everything grow. And then God provided these trees for fruit, and he just went and picked stuff to eat it. That's all he did. That's what you and I were, doesn't that sound great? Doesn't it really sound great? That's what you were created for. You weren't created for Southern California freeways. You weren't created for stress in cities and for this whole trans bathroom issue. You weren't created for that. That's why we get so upset. We weren't created for that. All of that is a result of sin. God has made us for so much more. And so this endless cycle of going to work, it's endless. It just goes on and on, and it's just... You know what the word is in the Bible? Vanity. Let me show you here in Ecclesiastes 1.14. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun. I've seen everything. And indeed, it's all vanity. It's grasping for the wind. In other words, vanity, the word means nothingness. It just means emptiness. Solomon, one of the wisest, wisest People in the scriptures, Solomon, very rich king, you know, son of of David. He has everything. He's in charge. He's ruling. He's got money. He's got concubine. He's got everything that anyone could ever want. He's got all that he would ever need. And you know what he says? It's just vanity. It's emptiness. Working, working. Genesis 3, 15, when sin came, that's when work became a labor. It wasn't meant to be that way, and you weren't meant to be under the stress that you are. But Solomon says that, that mundane, every morning, doing the same thing, it's vanities. The cyclical lifestyle that we all live, the sameness, the lack of fulfillment or meaninglessness. God originally created man for significance, relationship with him, with his world that God created specifically for man. But it was all changed. It was all marred by sin. And, and I, I just love the fact that I can believe that God created me to garden, to be like Adam. And today I was driving in the parking lot. Look at this picture. This is our tree. We Remember we planted all these trees outside? And we got flowers. See, that's cool. I love that. I'm looking for flowers. 
Don't, don't you just love, if you have a garden, don't you just love to watch that plant grow and watch that fruit develop? You were created to do that, not necessarily to weed. That's, the weeds came as a result of sin. That's true. The curse now work won't satisfy. We just work and we just work and it stresses us out. And people die of stress, their heart disease, and all these things that happen because of work. Because work brings frustration and incompletion. And that's radically different than what God created man for. Genesis, again, 1 and 2. Everything was perfect. But now, because of sin, man has to cultivate the ground. And remember, the seed, all the plant life, God made the seeds to to, uh, regenerate after their own kind. Now you have thorns and thistles and weeds, and they're blowing all over the planet. And so now you just can't grow something. You have to get the weeds out of there. And then you have to go back and pull more weeds until the fruit comes. That's the result of sin. Uh, and again, it's a perfect example of all that, that uh, God had made and how sin marred everything. In fact, that's the next point here at the end of verse 17. And here's my point. All creation is now cursed because man sinned. Now all creation is cursed. Curse is the ground for your sake, the end of verse 17, and toil you shall eat of it. You've got to work hard to get food from it all the days of your life. And then both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. So again, before the curse, think about before the curse, no weeds, no tilling, watching things grow, picking fruit. That's all that was done by Adam. He just, and, then, and then God, I believe, in the form of Jesus, this theophany, Jesus comes in the cool evening and just, how you doing today? Hey, I ate this really cool fruit. It, it's, it's funny. It's got all these little red balls in it. It's real juicy. What is that? You know, and, and, and God and, and, and Adam had this relationship, and then it was all ruined. It's sin. Adam's hiding. God comes to walk with him like he always did, and he's hiding And now there's weeds and there's toil and there's sweat and there's difficulty. That's the curse. And now all creation is cursed as well. All creation falls under the curse. Cursed is the ground for your sake, verse 17. Now that includes decay and death and disease. All of that entered the world. It was not there before. The reason I'm making a big deal about this is because this is what the script, this is the theology of sin in just this little section here in Genesis 3. Important for you to understand. Where does, why do people sin? Why is there hate? Why is there death in the world? Why is there stuff going? It's sin. It's sin. And then it's exacerbated by Satan, the enemy of your soul. That's why it's so hard. That's why there's death and disease and all this trouble and, and struggle, chaos. Creation is in chaos because of the sin of man, sin of Adam. All physical creation and all humanity is ruined by sin. So God says, because of your sin, Adam, I'm going to create all, I'm going to curse, pardon me, all of creation. But the final curse, here it is. This is the final curse. You have to understand this one, the curse of death. Look at verse 19. In the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread, tell you return to the ground. See that there? Till you return to the ground. For out of it, you were taken. You're just dust. Your chemistry 
like everything else, like the animal kingdom, you're just chemistry. You're made up of dust, the stuff of the earth, all the atoms and protons and, well, you know, what, what not. All this creation. And you will return to the ground. Out of it you were taken, for, the, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Physical death is a result of the curse, the curse of man, the curse against man physical death. It, it wasn't God's plan. Death isn't God's plan. Now, as you and I read the other story, and we know, and we come to Christ, we have eternal life. And we look forward to death because we're going to close our eyes here in, on this planet one day, all of us. And we're going to open our eyes where? Where are we going to be? In heaven. For those that believe in Jesus Christ, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So you, you die, the scripture says, you close your eyes, and you're going to open your eyes and see Jesus in heaven. That's awesome. For the Christian, death is, where's the sting, Paul says? Well, death, there's no sting in death. It's, it's just, I have the hope of eternal life. So bring it on, Paul says. We should not be afraid of death. It, it, it's sorrow, it's separation. When a loved one's dying, it's difficult. But as a Christian, we should look forward. But the curse of death right here in verse 19 of chapter 3, all of that came because of the lie. Satan told Eve, you shall be like God. What a lie. Wasn't that a lie? And she was deceived. She was tricked. She believed the lie. And the result of believing the lie was sin, sorrow, sweat, pain, suffering, and finally, death. I thought about this today. Every graveyard, every casket, every hearse that, that goes down the road, it reminds each and every one of us that there's a curse of death. And it's all because of sin. It's sin. Paul says, remember, in Ephesians, we don't wrestle against what? Flesh and blood. It's not people. It's not people. Stop arguing with people. It's not people. It's against principality powers and all the, it's, de, it's Satan. We are in a cosmic battle with Satan. Got to get the armor on. I love the way these two studies are interacting. For me personally, I hope you're enjoying that as well. But no one escapes. No one postpones death. Everyone is going to die. Look at the verse here. You've seen it, Hebrews 9.27. It's appointed. It's appointed for men once to die. Every one of us has an appointed time. God is the only one that knows. And after that, judgment. For those of you that are in Christ, you have the robe of righteousness, right? We put on the breastplate of righteousness, which is practical, but God has imputed righteousness on us. So when God looks at you, what does he see? Jesus. You're forgiven. You're justified. That's the theological position. So when you die, you go right to heaven. You don't go to judgment, you go right to heaven. There's no judgment for you because you put your faith in Christ. But the curse of death shows that the result of Adam's sin has now extended to the entire human race. Look at this verse, Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as uh, through one man sin, sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. There, there's the truth of it. That's the death, sin into all man, into my life, into your life, it affects every 
one. And this is the point. Here's the point where the gospel speaks right now. We're, we're talking about sin. We're in Genesis 3. We're in the very, very beginning of our Bibles. But here's where we, the gospel enters into the story here. Because there's no other place where the, the, the backdrop of the glorious light of Christ is more relevant than the death and decay and darkness of sin. That, that's the picture that we're looking at now. Because of sin, death entered the human race. And in order to reverse that curse, reversing the curse, someone had to be like Adam, but greater than Adam. Someone had to be sinless, or his death wouldn't pay for my sin. He must be willing to die in our place. He must be able to bear in himself the full consequence of sin. All shame, all fear, all guilt of every sinner. Only one man did that. Who is it? Jesus. Jesus. Praise the Lord. That's where the gospel comes in on this dark, bleak backdrop of sin, Genesis chapter 3. You have to know that. You have to understand that. Go back to verse 15, because here we see Jesus, right here. He will bruise or crush Satan's head. That's Jesus Christ. There he is, right here in Genesis 3. Isn't that great? God gives us the problem, but God gives us the remedy. The Bible isn't filled with negative, negative, negative. It's filled with, here's how you get from sin to me. Here's the gap. Jesus is, is bridging that gap. You need a Savior. You need salvation. You, mankind needs redemption, and God provides. We're, in, we're only in Genesis chapter 3. Isn't that glorious? The first two chapters are perfect, perfect creation. Then we get to the beginning of chapter 3, and we get sin and all of its consequences. That's what we've been studying the last two weeks. But more importantly, we see the Savior. We see God's plan of redemption Jesus crushing the head of Satan. Paul called him the last Adam because Jesus succeeded where Adam failed. Jesus is the last Adam. And in Christ's death, he paid the price for your sins. He paid the price for your guilt. He paid the price for your shame. And he guarantees that you and I can live forever, forever, not in our sin, that's the beautiful thing. God didn't want you to live forever in your sin. So he provides for us in his son. 1 Corinthians 15, look at this verse behind me. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. And then verse 47, the first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. Isn't that great? It's a picture of Jesus. It's a picture of redemption. This is the shout hallelujah portion of this, this on the bleak backdrop of sin and death and decay. We have Jesus crushing Satan and, 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 and judging him at that same point. In Galatians, Paul says that Jesus has redeemed us from the curse. Look at this verse, Galatians 3.13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. 
For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus took your shame, my shame, your sin, my sin on his body, and he went to the cross willingly, died there, bled there, became your sacrifice, became my sacrifice, paid for my sin so that I could have deliverance, so that I could be redeemed. It's awesome. It is awesome. I, I love that truth. Sin brought pain and, chi- and childbirth to the woman. Jesus took our pain and our penalty on the cross, right? Hebrews chapter 12. Sin brought conflict between husband and wife. Jesus brings reconciliation between man and God. Sin brought sweat and sorrow. Jesus became a man of what? Sorrows and acquainted with grief, Isaiah 53. He became that for you and I. Thorns came with sin and the fall. And Jesus wore a crown of thorns on his head for you and for me. He was abused, bruised, bruised only. And then he comes back and he crushes Satan. I love that. It's victory. Sin brought death and Jesus tasted death for everyone that we might have salvation. Look at this verse, Hebrews 2, verse 9. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for, notice, everyone. Everyone. Anyone can come to Jesus Christ. Anyone can believe in Jesus Christ. Again, the scripture makes that very clear. I know there's those that theologically, they don't believe that's true, only the elect. Listen, you can prove tonight that you're elect by coming to Jesus Christ. You come to Jesus, and he will not cast you out. He'll not turn away from you. You come to Jesus Christ and put your faith in him. And here's the question. Do you know? Do you know that? I hope you do. I believe that most of us do. No one of us knows that we'll live till tomorrow. None of you know that. I know people in this fellowship. Just had one recently this last month. Fine one evening died moments later in in his home. It happens. He didn't know he was going to die. You don't know if you're going to make it home on the freeway tonight. You don't know. I'm not trying to be doomsmeister here, but, but you understand. You are not guaranteed anything. What you're guaranteed is eternal life if you'll put your faith in Christ. Now, for those of us that have done that, we, we're going to be happy. I just want to be hit hard by a bus, and so it's, you know, I can go right to heaven. I mean, that's God doesn't guarantee any moment of life for you. He doesn't guarantee that to you. All he does is guarantee you that you'll have eternal life, but you have to come to Jesus Christ. You have to put your faith in him, and that's the hope that we have and the assurance that we have. So next week, we're going to look at the covering. We've seen the curse. We've seen its effect on the woman and on the man and on all creation, And then we're going to see the covering, how God remedies for Adam and Eve. It's a beautiful, beautiful truth. It's only a few verses. Maybe we'll go further. I'm not sure. But you can read ahead and prepare yourself. We're going to look at that next week. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the assurance that we have as we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And Father, I can't help but pray for any here that don't know Jesus as their personal Savior, that you would just open their heart and mind right now. And that they would believe in Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sin.
And I pray for those uh, husbands or even wives that are here that have an unsafe spouse at home. And Lord, that we would just be so prayerful for them. We love them dearly, and, and we know their struggle is so much harder than ours. But Father, we believe that you can save their spouse, and so we ask tonight that you would do a work of illumination, of, of uh, that work that only you, Holy Spirit, can do, of revealing sin, righteousness, and judgment, that they, husbands and they, wives that don't know you, would come to Christ and be saved, that marriages would be, would be reconciled, that uh, we as husbands and wives in Christ would, would really understand the curse and work with each other and love one another through our difficult curse as husband and as wife. Father, do a wonderful work in this fellowship. Continue, Lord, to give us a hunger for this portion of Scripture. Help me, Lord, to, to be paced as you want me to reveal the Word in large portions or short portions. Lord, that I would hear your voice and, and teach your Word. And Lord, that the body would be edified and built up and discipleship would happen and worship and service. Oh Lord, that you would work in our fellowship in wonderful ways. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.